Hi, friends. Welcome to the Faithful Podcast, stories of people who walked by faith and gained a fuller understanding of the faithfulness of God. I'm your host, Stephanie Baker. My guest today is a friend whose name I'm unable to share because she and her family serve as missionaries in a Muslim country where it is illegal to do so. Hearing her stories will bless and encourage you. So without further delay, here is my interview. Guys, I'm really excited for this interview today. Um, I'm joined by a friend of mine that I'm not able to share her name because she is um, working in a country that is not open to Christianity, and um, she and her family are serving in this country. So for that reason, we're not going to share her name, but I'm really excited because they are doing some really awesome stuff. So I'm not going to share too much in the front end, but I just want you to know that I'm really excited about this. So I'm going to let my friend introduce herself without sharing her name, obviously. (laughs) So tell us a little bit about yourself. So I grew up in the area around Tomball, Texas, and I have a husband and two small boys, a Mm three-year-old and a one-year-old. What else? We were teachers for a little bit before we got into missions overseas, and now we're back for a little bit. Yeah? Yeah. Okay, cool. So what have you guys been doing with your time back? So as we're back, our whole goal is to raise up more laborers who would go to the mission field with us or to other countries who don't have, um, who are unreached and don't have people there to tell them about Jesus and to church plant. And so we're raising that awareness and hoping that laborers would come along. And we're also working on raising our budget so that we can go back because we're 100% um, self-supported on friends and churches and people who would partner with this with us. Wow. So um, tell me how you came to know Jesus. So I love my story so much because my older brother— was actually the one that discipled me. Mm-hmm. He's eight years older than me, and he gave his life to the Lord by himself in his room one night. He heard God's voice, and he became a believer in that moment. And so after that, he took on the responsibility of wanting to disciple my twin sister and I, mm-hmm. and he began to meet with us every night. And if he couldn't do it every night, he did it as much as he could, and he would just share stories of the Bible with us and discuss it with us. And I remember it was the first time I heard him say, like, God is a father who loves you and wants a relationship with you. Mm -hmm. And as I was hearing all of these things and hearing about the Bible, I remember I was 12 years old and just by myself gave my life to the Lord. I didn't really know what it meant. I didn't have a lot of people I was walking through that with. But I knew I had the Word of God, and that sustained me through a lot of hard seasons as a kid. Mm, That's awesome. Yeah. That's really, really cool. Um, Was your sister, was she kind of in the same place as you spiritually? Yeah. At first, she would—we laugh because she's also a missionary now. But Mm -hmm. back when my brother was teaching us, she would hide under her covers (laughs) and say that she didn't want to hear it. (laughs) 
but she was still listening because something about the words that my brother was sharing was capturing something in her heart. Mm. And so although she wasn't super reactive to it at first, she kept listening and listening and then eventually gave her life to the Lord just a few months after that. That's so, so cool. Yeah. Um, so tell me how you met your husband. Yeah. So... We met in college, mm-hmm. and he was my brother's best friend. Oh, and so, I didn't know that. Yeah. <laughs> my brother met him. My brother was a campus missionary for the same student ministry that we were in. And so my brother ended up discipling my husband. Mm-hmm. And that's how he came to know the Lord and really walk with Jesus. And from that, he was just kind of around and just my brother's best friend. And then... After that, as we were in ministry together, um, he started to pursue me, and we ended up getting married. Oh, okay. That's cool. That's awesome. So tell me how you guys first started to consider um, the mission field. Um, Really, whenever I first knew about my husband, um, I knew a lot about him, and I knew one of the things— was that he felt called to the Middle East specifically. Mm. And that intimidated me because I didn't know if I wanted that or if God had that for me. Um, But we still just dove in and started dating. And I didn't know this at the time, but my husband had been praying and asking the Lord, if this is to be my wife, that God would speak to me. Um, about doing missions in the Middle East. Mm. And sure enough, as he was praying that prayer, God really did start to speak to me. And I began to have dreams. And I had this burden, literally, that kept me awake at night of people I had never met, places I had never been to, and and I couldn't shake it. Mm -hmm. And so I knew... God was calling me. I didn't know the exact steps of how to get there, but I knew I had that burden. And then once my husband and I got married, that's when we really began to pursue that together and be like, okay, I think this is what God has for us. He has spoken to us separately, and now he's speaking to us together and and that if we would go as a couple. Mm. So you were... Like having these dreams about serving overseas, what did that look like? I mean, what yeah. were you doing with these dreams? Were you just like telling friends, or were, I mean, were you what? What was going on in your head as you're having them? Yeah. So I think part of the reason I was having them was I was reading a Live Dead journal devotional, mm-hmm. and every day in that devotional, it has different people groups to pray for. Okay. And so it'll say the population number, and then it'll say a percent that's Islamic and a percent that's evangelical or Christian. Okay. And normally what that looks like is millions of people with 99.8% Islamic and maybe mm-hmm. 0.02 evangelical. Mm-hmm. And so those were the numbers that started to weigh on me. And some of the dreams I was having was just a very clear dream I had once was meeting women in my living room, and they were all covered in the hijab, which is the covering that Muslim women will wear, mm-hmm. and and having a small group. 
and I didn't know if that was something that was going to happen Mm -hmm. or if that was just like a picture that the Lord gave me. Mm -hmm. But soon enough after that and after we served at the end of our two years, that exact dream that I had happened in real life. And so it was like God was already speaking these things into existence. That's crazy. That's, I mean, when you're in that moment and you're seeing that happen, I mean, I I, I feel like we just jumped forward a lot in the interview, <laughs> but like, I, I don't want to miss that, this moment. But like when you're sitting, was it in, in your home that that took place? Yeah. When you're sitting in your home and you're seeing this dream that you had years before taking place, like what walk me through what's going through in your mind in that moment yeah when I woke up I just I remember the picture the exact picture that I had and I woke up and I just began to pray and spend time with the Lord and a lot of times whenever I was trying to decipher something or be like God was this you what does this Mm -hmm. mean I would just journal and so I just wrote and wrote like so many notebooks full to the Lord of like wrestling through what do you want and what does this mean? Yeah. And I just was crying as I was doing it because that weight of the amount of people (laughs) that were unreached um, and that no one was there to tell them who Jesus was just began to weigh on me. Mm. Yeah. It, you bring up an interesting point. I mean, you're reading this um, this workbook journal thing, and it's talking about just the number of um, people who've never heard about the good news of Jesus Christ and, you know, how few uh, missionaries there are that are over there um, in these countries. And, and a lot of times that's because it's really really dangerous to, to be a Christian in these countries. Um, you know, it's, it's so, it can be so, um, defeating to, to hear these things like, okay, well, what is, what, what is one person going to do in this situation? What is one individual going to do? But, um, you know, so you, you feel this calling now for you and for your, you know, I guess, well, I mean, you've just felt this now, for, I guess when we, we just kind of jumped ahead a little bit, but you said that you've, you've now felt this for yourself and you go and tell, I guess you tell your husband or your fiance, cause you weren't married yet. Yeah. We, and, I talked to my fiance and then also my small group leader at the time. Yeah. <laughs> and, and what was the response? My small group leader looked at me and was like, this is from the Lord and I want you to know this is not normal. That yeah. Not maybe because I thought, well, it's because I'm in this Christian ministry that everybody views the world this way or everybody has these dreams. And she was like, this is something special and just kind of helped me see that this was something the Lord was putting on my heart. And she herself even had um, like a prophetic word for me that had a huge role in the call to missions as well. Yeah. Are you able to share a little bit about that? Yeah. So when I was 19, a freshman, um, my small group leader, she came and said, 
I really feel like I have a word from the Lord for you. And I was like, okay. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I've never had anybody say something like that. And I was kind of new into gifts of the Spirit and things like this. Mm -hmm. And um, so she wrote it down and shared it and was like, I feel like the Lord is saying that you are a spearhead and everything that you've been through um, has made the edges of your spear sharper and that God wants to use you to pierce through the darkness and be launched into the unknown. Mm. And so I tucked that away. Two and a half years later, our area director of our region for missions comes and he shares a sermon about a spear. And the Mm. whole point of this spear was what is your part in driving this spear to the target, which is reaching the unreached and that everyone in the world, all nations, tongues, and people shall worship the name of Jesus. Mm. And so he gets to the shaft and he says, some of you are going to be praying for the unreached and you're going to push this the spear forward that way. And some of you are going to be businessmen and women who are supporting these missionaries and driving them forward through financial support. And others are going to be doing administrative work. And then he gets to the spearhead and he quotes everything that my small group leader proclaimed over me and Mm. was like, some of you are going to be a spearhead who are going to be launched into the unknown and to pierce through darkness. And I sat on that front row and I wept because it was direct. That's it. That's confirmation for me of Jesus. This is you speaking and I'll go. Wow. So was that the that was the moment when yeah. it all came together? Yeah. Man. <laughs> wow. So when you told your husband or your fiance after that, um, now husband, his response was he just had so much peace. Oh, he, and he so said awesome. like he knew. He was like, I knew that God was going to speak to you. <laughs> mm, that's so awesome. You know, um, we had you guys over for dinner recently, and I mean, he was sharing how he knew that God was calling him to missions, and he at the same time knew he wanted to marry you, and you had not felt that same calling at that point, and he was just, you know, praying for you, and you know, God had his timing and how amazing that that was how God brought it all together. And he had planned, you know, your now husband was planning to propose to you, not because you finally said yes to missions, but it just happened to line up <laughs> yeah. with the timing of that, like right around that same time. And that's, that's just so cool. Like, you know, he had this, you know, God was giving him peace Mm-hmm. And, you know, at just the right time. Yeah. And so what time or uh, when was the timeline for all this? So I was a junior in college and my husband was a senior about to graduate. Okay, cool. Um, so and then you guys eventually graduated and um, you went and went into teaching, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So tell me a little bit about that. So we had this waiting period where we applied. We knew that that's what we wanted to do was missions. And 
we had kind of a choice during that time whether to go into the workplace um, as we waited for, you know, application process and interviews or um, to join the internship with the student ministry that we were involved in and kind Mm -hmm. of have that waiting period. And as we were praying about it, we both just had a passion for kids, and I always wanted to be a teacher. I knew when I went into college, like, that's what I want to do, and I never, like, wavered from that. And so it was exciting to us, and we had people advise us, like, if you can get workplace experience and see what it's like to work under a boss who maybe doesn't love Jesus and to have coworkers who are essentially lost too, then that could be really great. And so Mm -hmm. that's what we did, and we absolutely loved it. Mm. Um, That's awesome. So you get a couple years of teaching experience, and then you decide that you're going to head out onto the mission field overseas. Um. Was it a decision of which organization to go with or which country to go to and kind of like what what was the decision that you guys were making? Yeah, so we heard a lot about Live Dead through our Chi Alpha student ministries. And so we had constantly different missionaries who came through and shared their stories of how they were called, the work that they do and what they were all about. And to us, it was like a no-brainer. Like Mm -hmm. the way that they believe in church planning, it's not some American way of coming in and trying to change everything about who they are and their culture, but really trying to be strategic in finding people who want to know about Jesus, discipling them so that they can go disciple and essentially reach and church the plant plant the church Mm -hmm. themselves (laughs) yeah that's awesome and from there so you knew you wanted to work with them so then from there how did you end up where you guys ended up so in the city that we're in it's one of the largest cities in the world Mm -hmm. there's up to 40 million people who go in and out of this city and that's because just everybody can work it's it's a little more international in areas and it's po- the population, if you can imagine, is like putting the entire state of Texas into Houston. Mm. And that is what this city is like. Wow. And one of the reasons we chose it was because this specific dialect is what the Middle East uses for all TV, films, movies. And so it's it was a great starting point of mm-hmm. if we learn this language, we can transfer it into other countries if God would call us elsewhere someday yeah okay all right so it was kind of a strategic decision okay all right and have you what have what's been your impression of the place so far I mean it sounds pretty hectic and chaotic (laughs) it's very chaotic yeah it's it's like when you live there you have to wear a different different demeanor of every time I leave my house I have to be on guard and ready because there's so many people. Traffic is everywhere. Mm-hmm. And there is never a quiet time in the city. Yeah. All night long, horns are honking and the call to prayer is going off. So it's just, it can be kind of chaotic. Yeah. 
Yeah. <laughs> How long did that take you to get used to? Or are you still getting used to that? <laughs> <laughs> a little bit of both. We we adjusted, but then after the adjustment, it kind of becomes like a growing pain mm-hmm. of, okay, every day I have to remember to give these things to the Lord, all of the honking and the haggering and whatever else that's happening in the street, and for the Lord to just remind us how He looks at those people and looks at that place so that we don't become hard in our hearts. Yeah. Mm. Um, were there any missionary stories that you read that sort of inspired you along the way? Yeah. I think my... I was thinking about it earlier, and I've I've heard a lot of missionaries, and I've read a lot of missions-based books. Mm-hmm. And the one that I feel like the Lord put to my mind was the book The Insanity of God by mm-hmm. Nip, Nick Ripkin. Mm-hmm. And in this story, Nick and his wife, and he has children, I don't, I think three or four, and they moved to, um, I believe it was Somalia, and they do different missions in Africa. And they had been doing it for a few years, and they walked through so much hardship, Mm -hmm. so many different things, and so much so that his teenage teenage son severely struggled with asthma the entire time they were on the mission field. Mm. And it was very difficult because they're away from family. You're in a foreign medical field, which is good. It's just different and can be difficult. And his son ended up dying. Oh, my gosh. And so they're there. They're in Somalia. They're in, you know, Africa. And he dies. And they're like, do we go home? What do we do? And they are like, you know what? We have grown our boys here. We've had our life here. Like, we're going to have the funeral here. And so they have this funeral for their son. And prior to this, he had made a friend about, 200 miles away, um, and he impacted this man tremendously. And somehow he had heard about his son dying. And this man walked 200 miles just to get to his son's funeral Mm. and to go and see him and visit his son. And he gets there, and he witnesses the funeral, and he sees people rejoicing and having joy because they know that their son is with Jesus. Mm. And the man looks at him and says, Nick, why are you happy? Your son is dead. It's over. And he was like, I know that my boy is with Jesus and in in heaven and with eternal life. And the man weeps and says, why has nobody come to tell us this good news before? Mm. And reading that question was just like my heart just drops, you know? Yeah. I wonder how many more people are like once they find the good news of who Jesus is and what he has for them, why has nobody come sooner for me? Yeah. Mm. Wow. That's tough. Um, So before you moved to the Middle East, had you ever— visited there before no like, I had nothing you didn't like you like not even like a week visit before you moved out or 
We did. We okay. we were signed up and committed to go, and then we had an opportunity to join a mission, a short-term mission team for a week. Okay. And so— But it was after you had already said, yeah. we're moving here. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So we wow. did it. We were like, well, we know we're going, but it would be great if we could see it before we mm. move across the world. But <laughs> And did that make it easier or harder, or was it like— scarier I don't know like yeah. how did that short-term thing play into yeah. all of that I think my eyes were just wide open of like yeah. okay if this is going to be my life let's see what it is it doesn't really matter if I don't like it because I've already signed the thing <laughs> <laughs> and I already know God's called me to go here so that part will just have to feelings will follow actions yeah and so we went and we just explored and we did a couple days of what language school would be like and the city of where the team lived. So it was mm. fun. Yeah. That's cool. And didn't you guys have a baby? We did. We ended up having, I was so sick that whole trip. And that's when we found out that we were pregnant with our first son. Mm. So that was kind of the surprise to us of instead of just us going that we were going to bring um, our one-year-old with us. Oh my goodness. <laughs> Surprise. <Yes. laughs> Um, so what was your family and friends response like when you told them you, that God was saying, Hey, we need that our family needs to move to the other side of the world. Yeah. I had, um, some people who were really on board and thought, wow, I, I love that you're doing that and Lord be with you. And I had my amazing twin sister and older brother who are also very like-minded and were with me in all of those steps. And for my parents, it was a lot harder. Um, my dad just kind of looked at me and said, well, you're going to do what you want anyways. I think mm -hmm. just out of hurt um, that his baby girl and grandson was going to move across the world yeah, um, and to a place that was scary to them. Mm -hmm. And also for my mom, um, when I told her, she just looked at me and said, if you decide to do this, that you're going to put me in an early grave. Mm -hmm. And she walked away. And so it was it was difficult breaking it to my parents, but they have I know that God is doing something in them that wouldn't have maybe happened if we hadn't have done this. Yeah. Mm when you hear those kind of responses did it make you like second guess anything or did it, I mean was there any moments of am I making the right decision or was it just so crystal clear the calling yeah I think it was so clear and what I had heard a lot from people who have gone before us and done the same thing was that no matter what, to hold on to those moments where God called, like had specific moments for the Lord where you felt like he called you. Mm -hmm. And so I held on to that dream. I held on to that word from my small group leader. And anytime I even thought a second way, I looked back and read journal entries of like, this is where God spoke to you. Mm -hmm. And remembering that and also knowing that Jesus even says in his Bible, he who loves his mother or father, brother or sister more than me cannot be my disciple. Yeah. 
and and that's truth. That's the word of God. We can't change that. And of course, I love my family, and mm-hmm. we walked through. A, it was so hard to leave them. Yeah. But at the same time, it was so clear of what Jesus was asking, and so clear that He asked us to be a part of this great commission, and that if we can just go with arms open bringing as many people as we can. My family, Lord willing, will be there in eternal life with me one day. Yeah. And so our time on earth is so short compared to that, that that is something that really grounds me when I think about my family. It's mm-hmm. good. It's really good. Yeah, it's hard. Um, you know, we, we want to please our parents and we want to keep our family happy. And, um, yeah, I think our parents and our families and friends a lot of times they mean well. They want they want what they feel like is best, but um, they can't see what God sees. They can't see what God has got prepared ahead, and they can't see the lives that God is preparing for you to have an influence over and they're trying to communicate a lot of times that they're going to miss you mm-hmm. or they're scared that you're going to be somewhere that they see as dangerous. But, you know, we can be in the safest city in the safest, you know, quote unquote, safest country or whatever in the world. And, you know, our lives end mm-hmm. short all the time. We see that every day. Yeah. And, um, you know, we don't, we're not promised anything just because we're in a safe place. Mm-hmm. And so it's it's really hard to communicate that, though. And it's hard to say, look, I, I love you, but I have, a, I have to be obedient to God. I yeah. have to do this thing that God is calling me to. Um, so can you share about maybe like something cool that you've seen God do since you've um, been overseas? Yeah. You can, you don't have to pick just one. You can share a couple of things. <laughs> I'm trying to think. Um, I think one of my favorite conversations and memory is that one of my friends that I met um, at the very end of our term, um, so almost two years in and knowing the language and culture a lot more, I met her at a flower shop and... Um, I clearly went out that day and said, Lord, give me somebody to share the gospel with. Give me whoever. And so I went to buy flowers for my friend, and I was waiting in line, and I felt the Lord be like, hey, talk to that girl behind you. So I was like, okay. And I just started a conversation like, why are you buying flowers? Who are they for? And um, we had this great conversation, and I walked away, and I totally forgot to even ask for her number or to hang out again. Mm -hmm. I was like, no. And then her mom chases me down the street and has flowers that she bought for me and was like, you have to come to our house. I want to cook you food. And so I said, of course, okay. And I go back and I call my friend and we go. And when we meet our friend at her house, it's not just her and her mom, but her three best friends and her three sisters. And so we're meeting with seven women now. And we go into this area where it's very Islamic. Not a single foreigner is inside of there. Um, everybody is covered either in a hijab, which is the head covering, or the niqab, which is up to their eyes. 
and only that's the only part that their body is not covered and it's you can't even drive a car you have to walk miles just to get into this area phone signals like sketchy and we go and we have this great time and we end up meeting with these women for a few months together and so we built this relationship and from the very first meeting we shared the gospel openly of mm-hmm. like we love Jesus and what do you think about this scripture that I learned today and it was not necessarily received it was like that's great but don't ever talk about that like we don't do that <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, every time we met, it was just like the devil had something to want to interrupt that meeting. And so it would be like this goose chase where it's like, hey, let's have dinner at five. And it's seven o'clock when they finally show up and then they need to go to their mom's house and then they need to go get the electrician at her workplace. And it's like, when can we ever just sit down? We came Mm -hmm. here to talk with you. Mm -hmm. And one of my favorite conversations was walking and sharing with my friend. And she looked at me and she said, where do you think that I'm going to go when I die? Mm. And I knew what she wanted me to say was that you're going to go to hell. Mm. And I knew I wasn't going to say that. And so I looked at her and I said, I don't know. I'm not the judge. God is. Where do you think you're going to go? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and she said, that she hopes she can get to heaven because with her, she has this scale. And at the end of her life, if the good outweighs the bad, then she will go to heaven or to paradise with Allah. And they will also have a book. And in that book will be written anything that they've ever done wrong in their life. I was like, wow, aren't you going to get tired? You're going to work your entire life and you don't even know a law at the end of your life can still decide that you don't go to paradise. Mm. And I said, but what if I told you there was somebody who takes that book and he erases all of those things that you've ever done wrong and gives you forgiveness instead and who wants a relationship with you and with him you can spend eternal life. And she didn't say anything back which was expected, I guess. But I know, I remember looking at her eyes and seeing like wheels start to turn that have probably never turned Mm -hmm. and knowing that that night a seed was planted. Mm. That's awesome. Yeah. So good. Um, You know, when you were sharing your your vision uh, or your, your dream earlier about seeing this group of women coming together in your home and that happening. Can you kind of walk me through how that ended up taking place? Yeah. So after it's the same people that I just shared about, Uh but after meeting them the first time we went to their home And then I said, well, you cooked me your food. I want to cook you mine. Mm -hmm. You come to my house. And so when they came, that's when it was like I I saw it. Like I saw all of the women there, and they asked me if they could perform their prayers. And they all washed up. They got out a compass and made sure it faced towards Mecca Mm -hmm. and pulled out rugs. And I watched seven women bow down and pray to Allah. And my friend and I sat there just praying to Jesus that 
he would reveal himself to them. Mm-hmm. And it was like when I looked and saw all of them, it was like that was the moment where I had had this dream. Mm. That's so awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Um, this this friend that you're talking about, is this somebody that was part of your team there? Yeah, the one that went with me, she was a part of the team. Oh, okay. That's so cool. Um, so what's some advice that you might give a person who um, is interested in possibly um, serving on the mission field? Yeah, I would say that if you feel any sort of tug or desire or burden in your heart, to seek it out. Don't let it be a thought where it's like, that would be great, but then you just keep living your life Mm -hmm. and doing what you want to. Seek that out with the Lord. Pray. Begin to pray for people, groups, and places and tell somebody about it that you can process with and, and have like an accountability of praying through that with so that that thought or dream or burden doesn't just slip away. Yeah. That's good. Um, you know, you mentioned like the college group that you were a part of, um, and you mentioned this organization, how you, um, I guess was the college group that you were a part of and the organization, are they connected in some way? Is that how you heard about them together or no? No, they're not connected. Just, we had lots of missionaries from that org visit. Oh, okay. Mm -hmm. Okay. So, um, when you were looking to go on to the mission field initially, did you talk to missionaries and kind of pick their brain a little bit, just <laughs> sort of getting an idea of what is it really like? Because I think a lot of times mm-hmm. um, the tendency is to, I don't know, I mean, I, I grew up, you know, in church and we had a lot of missionaries come visit and we hear their stories and we hear like a five minute or maybe 15 minute, you know, snippet of what mm-hmm. the, has been happening in the last five years of their lives. And it sounds awesome. Mm-hmm. And and we want to hear the highlights and that's good. And we want to hear what God is doing, but it can kind of romanticize yeah. what mission work is like. And um, having my sister work on the mission field, I know a lot of it is there's a lot of administrative side <laughs> to things that's not very exciting, or there's a lot of just like building a foundation mm-hmm. and there's a lot there's a lot of um a lot of foundation that has to come in um in order for you to be able to have good relationships or to understand a culture properly and to mm-hmm. not walk in at, you know guns blazing like yeah. hey I you know here's the gospel <laughs> let me let me fix this place you know I guess come in with like the stereotypical like white savior kind of idea that people are so put off by, um, what, what was, what was some unlearning that you felt like you had to do? I think, um, I just had, I had kind of that same thought if I'm honest. And I talked to a lot of missionaries and I thought I'm going to jump in, we're going to learn language and I love learning so it's not going to be that hard and Mm -hmm. you know people say it'll take this many years to learn it I'll learn it quick yeah and then once you're there and the the culture shock and you realize how small you actually are um there's so many steps that have to take place before all of a sudden 
you're full on sharing the gospel in another language. And so I think I just had to be like, okay, Lord, whatever you're asking me to put my hand to now, even if it's a foundational step, it's still your will. Yeah. And it's still something that is purposeful and going towards your kingdom so that I can get to you know, the end goal. Yeah. And that that was the purpose of all of the small mundane things like mm-hmm. team meetings and language school and learning how to take a taxi, learning how to go to the supermarket, that those things were just as important as, you know, the end goal of wanting to sit down and be able to share the gospel with our friends. And don't get me wrong, that happened. Like if we had the opportunity in English or we had a scripture we memorized, we did that from the get-go. Yeah. But I'm saying as far as the deeper stuff where we're talking about discipleship and church planning, those things take a lot more time. Yeah. I mean, yeah, you don't you don't want to go in and do things in a haphazard way. Like you want to be very careful and you want to be a good steward of these situations and it sounds like the organization that you guys have partnered with like they're trying to build a lot of relationships with individuals who are indigenous to the area Mm -hmm. and so you have to understand their culture Mm -hmm. in order to build a church that is representative of their culture that is not just and I don't know if that organization is based in America or what but you know, I'm just, you know, if, if it is or Western or whatever, but like, it's not just a Western church placed in a Middle Eastern country. Like we don't want that. Right. We want to make sure that it is, you know, the church of Jesus Christ, you know, Mm -hmm. the gospel of Jesus Christ, but in this culture yeah, and representing this culture and, um, you know, the same, obviously the same doctrinal truth, but not ex- the extra fluff yeah. that is not necessary <laughs> and that, you know, is just culturally part of the, the church. Mm-hmm. Um, so how can people connect with you um, if they're maybe interested in hearing about what's going on with you guys or if they want to support you guys? Because obviously, if you're going to get back out on the mission field, you're going to have financial needs. And so you're going to need financial partners. So nobody likes asking for that partner. (laughs) So I'll do, I'll, I'll go ahead and put that out there that people who are on the mission field have financial needs. Mm -hmm. They don't like to say that part. They need prayer partners for sure. We will always say that, but they also need financial partners. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. We, (laughs) We have Facebook, and so we actually have a secret group um, on Facebook where that's where we'll kind of post quicker updates. And um, even while we were on the field, we might post something and be like, hey, we're meeting with these locals tonight, and we're sharing this story. Would you pray with us? Um, And then also uh, we have a newsletter, so if you wanted to send your email we can get that on our newsletter list, which we send out about bi-monthly updates just of what God's doing and where we're at. Um, and then lastly, if people are interested in giving or partnering, we have a website that we can give, and it's pretty straightforward. You click the website, and it tells you. You just click on what you want to give, if it's monthly or not, and it'll take you through those steps. Awesome. All right, and um, we'll figure out 
I'm still trying to figure out the best way to connect people with all of those resources while also protecting you guys and keeping your ministry going as long as possible. So um, I really appreciate you taking your time today. I know that you guys have a lot going on and um, I just I'm really been blessed to hear all that God is doing in and through you guys. So mm-hmm. thank you so much. Yeah. Thanks so much for having me and listening to all the stories. <laughs> I don't know about you, but I felt tremendous conviction over how she called out Western Christians and our desire for comfort. The thought of packing up her entire family and moving to the other side of the world was terrifying, but you can hear the joy in her voice as she shares about it, and you can tell that she is on an adventure with Jesus. Please continue to pray for my friend and her family to have the necessary funds to return and that God would continue to open the doors for the gospel to spread. If you feel led to give, I will have links on my website, faithfulpodcast.podbean.com. Or you can find me on Instagram at Faithful Podcast. If you have a moment, head over to Apple Podcasts and leave me a rating and review. Reviews help people find the podcast so that it can be a blessing to them. And while you're there, remember to hit the subscribe button so that you never miss an episode. Have a great week and remember to stay faithful, friends.